0: Boy, my glasses look ski don't they? Hey, welcome to the Backyard Professor Live, Sunday school, Sunday morning session, 10 a.m. to noon. I'm going to continue uh, discoursing, discussing, comparing, and contrasting how the Mormon leaders, as opposed to the Mormon scholars... Uh, discuss the ins and outs of evolution and how it either threatens Mormonism or supports Mormonism, etc. An idea dawned on me this morning just before coming on, and I want to spit this out real quick before I forget it. It came zinging down from the heavens into my mind, so I'm going to call it a revelation. Hey, Lorena. Good morning. Good to see you. Uh, The thought struck me this morning that the reason the LDS leaders do not give us any clarity on the evolutionary controversy, uh, and the, the war between science and religion, if we can call it that, and I'm becoming more and more uncomfortable with that. Also, uh, there never should have been a war in the first place, but that's for another video. The reason the leaders are so hamstrung on not being able to give us guidance is because they claim they receive revelation from the creator of the universe. So they are allowing the scholars and they are allowing the public Mormons to elaborate on the meanings of the scriptures in light of evidence from science now. There is an accommodation going on, and it just like I said in my second part of this series, which I made as a video, it is on YouTube now, so I did part two. Oh, and I called this part two, didn't I? I should have called this part three. Oh, man, I I mislabeled this. Doggone me. This is part three. I did part two yesterday's video. The reason they're allowing all of the other John Q. Mormons to discuss the scriptures and the implications and to retranslate, if not reinterpret the scriptures, is because that gives the leaders a chance to hide the fact that they really aren't receiving much revelation at all these days. That's my idea that came to me this morning while I was pondering about what I'm going to talk about more on this evolution controversy. Uh, I think sincerely that the Leaders don't want people to know that they don't have revelation. If they do have revelation, then they've got to, like Joseph Smith, talk in the voice of authority. It seems like in the history of Mormonism, the more authoritative stances that the Mormons have taken in previous times, the more today's Mormons have to disavow those authoritative revelations because We progress in our knowledge, and it is the philosophy of men which is overcoming the revelations of God to the Mormon leaders. And one, it can be embarrassing. Two, it can be very, very disconcerting. And they have to—they can't speculate on what the Scripture might mean as prophets and apostles and seers and revelators— but they can let everybody else in Mormonism do so, and then they have the uh, chance to say, "Well, that's just that's not an official church stance." And when asked about, "Well, what is the official church stance?" they keep falling back on the 1909 statement. So, so this is a key insight, I believe, honestly. To uh, hey, Wendy Rowland, good morning. Thank you for showing up. Good to see you, you and Lorena are the first two to post. So welcome to the live session Sunday school. We'll be doing a live session tonight at six o'clock for the fireside, where I will continue to bring out this fantastically interesting subject on evolution and Mormonism. Um, The thing I've noticed is this, and this is kind of uh, why I wanted to do this series. Uh, and, And it can become a huge series because more and more of the Mormon scholars are now beginning to come out and say, well, evolution has some really strong evidence. And so uh, we really can't fight it. And quite frankly, the way we've been interpreting the scripture in such a literalist fashion really does not jive not only with it does not jive with other religions around the world it's making missionary work more difficult to do i would propose and i think they're recognizing that and i'm just guessing off, off the top of my head uh but the uh the theme that there is a literal historical. Well, there there may have been, especially with the Book of Mormon, but that pertains here to America. Of what value is that to the Japanese or the Taiwanese? Oh, incidentally, there was a 6.8 earthquake in Taiwan this morning. Looks like there's some very, very bad structural damages, I hope. I'm afraid there's going to be some deaths and a lot of misery there, darn it. So the earth keeps shifting, and this, of course, is the geological aspect, which the religions would say, well, the Lord is punishing those Taiwanese for their evil. The problem with this naturalistic, uh, revelatory, pissed-off God theme is it's always the innocent that get hurt and die. They're not the wicked ones trying to destroy the world or whatever, you know. I I mean, (laughs) the theology just doesn't match the reality, see? You know, and this brings us right back to this theme of the Mormon leadership, in my opinion, because they they can't be caught dead speculating on what the scripture might mean, since they are claiming to have the special insights from God Himself. So they have to tell us what does it mean. Well it's obvious they're not receiving any revelation on that. So they want to keep up the image that they are still seers, prophets, and revelators, etc. But they need to give the Mormon public something so they're allowing their scholars to more and more try to discuss this science theme. But there is a core, like I said yesterday in my video, there is a core of doctrine that they do not want any of the scholars to go outside of. And even the BYU scholars, and and I've got a a good one. I'm going to actually utilize him, uh, Evolution or Evolving Faith by Stephen L. Peck. Now, this guy is really good. Uh, I liked his book. I really did. There are parts that I disagreed with, but the nice thing that's happening, at least with the Mormon scholars, so far as I can tell now, I do believe there are some really good Christian scientists out there who are now beginning to realistically portray how evolution works they're beginning to grasp and be able instead of trying to get a point against evolution for rhetoric's sake and to keep the congregation coming back and giving them money I believe the honesty of look this is how it actually works there's no reason to be anti-science I think that's beginning to grow at least I hope it is because it needs to be I'll put it that way because the uh hey sydney's welcome sydney shablom good morning i hope i'm pronouncing your name correct i apologize if i'm not i i don't think i've ever seen you here before so welcome to my live session i'm just elaborating on the uh what i hope to be a good explanation okay thank you <laughs> i'll just call you sydney or sid ooh, unless that offends you i don't want to offend anybody so uh, I'm just explaining the, uh, the the Mormon approach to this is becoming better, in my opinion, rather than the anti-science attitude of Joseph Fielding Smith, whom I lambasted, uh, as well as Boyd K. Packer in my part two, which I ended up making a YouTube video. There's some beautiful pictures in that. I have some wonderful scenery. Don't uh, Don't skip that. There's some good stuff. So this is going to be part three. And I, I think the shtick here is that now, and I've heard this, I think it was about a year ago, and I couldn't find it. I looked for it a little bit this morning. It is out there that the church is no longer going to hire PhD professors from other universities whom wh- which they have acquired their PhD from uh, in order to hire them at BYU. They're only going to take the future BYU professors from within the church education system. So again, this is going to lead to more inbred scholarship. I That would be my fear uh, for them. Um, I don't care one way or the other, because even the Mormon scholarship, of course, is shackled by the brethren. Uh, we know that there are six, possibly seven, of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles who are actually the board of directors of Brigham Young University, so we know they keep a lid on things without question, so Stephen L. Peck, Evolving Faith, let me get on this, because the Mormon evolutionary theology, now every, so far as I'm aware now, the, the more impressive ones, the The ones who are within the biological sciences, perhaps the geological sciences, those who are teaching at BYU and BYU in order to continue receiving proper accreditation from the American school system must teach the correct science. They can't just Joseph Smith over everything in science like they wish they could, even though they own the university. They want credibility, in other words, not like they have a whole lot of it. Some of the scientists, some of the science at BYU is very good. It's very well done. But we understand in the overarching scheme, it is just as the church leaders have said, the whole point of BYU is to instill or reinforce or to expand the student's testimonies. And so you have you have all kinds of weird uh, credentialed, non-credentialed professors teaching various religion classes in an area that they're not expert at all, just in order to make sure that religion does get taught at BYU, even in the science department. <laughs> Stephen L. Peck is one of those biologists who says, no, I'm not going to go that route. I I am a biologist and and yeah he's a latter day saint. All of the professors of BYU are accommodationists when it comes to the geology, to the astronomy, to the uh biology, the oceanography, whatever whatever science uh discussion is occurring. It is not the adjustment of the science that is occurring. It is the adjustment of the scriptural interpretation and understanding, or else the historical understanding of the creation, which is occurring in all of the Mormon authors I have found so far. And I've got a few. Uh, And so let me share Stephen L. Peck who has a very solid grasp. The thing I loved about Peck is he truly did explain evolution in a rational, realistic way. Now, this is good because Joseph Fielding Smith did not do this. Uh, His book, Man, His Origin, and Destiny, I just read about this uh, in this very fine text, which I might get to today, we'll see, but The Search for Harmony. The information of, of uh not that one. That's a good one though. Uh, Sears, Savants, and Evolution. Uh, it's a very well known article. It was published in dialogue, I do believe, by Dwayne E. Jeffrey, the uncomfortable interface of Sears, Savants, and Evolution. He describes the Joseph Smith, the Joseph Fielding Smith. Uh, canard, his lust for power. And he went against the brethren's wishes and produced his book, Man, His Origin and Destiny, which he basically just took the stupid Christian, uh, literalistic, fundamentalist Creedy Price. Or price, I can't remember the guy's name. I I've never read him, and I never will, as far as that goes. But Joseph Fielding Smith simply adapted a Christian, a philosophy of man, mingled with his own scripture. Something he accused others of doing within Mormonism when they disagreed with his conclusion. Joseph Fielding Smith hypocritically did the exact damn same thing in his book, Man, His Origin and Destiny. When I read it when I was going to Rick's, lo, those decades ago, I'm going to give my age away of 61 and I need to keep this a secret. Uh, when I read that book, I was mortified at how utterly, insipidly stupid the entire philosophical setup was. And I was a full-fledged believing Mormon at that point. I, it was my pre-apologetic days. But all he did was pit one out-of-context evolutionary statement from this particular scientist against someone else's and say, see, they contradict, therefore evolution is false. I I mean, stupid is as stupid does. It does not get any more inane and ridiculous than that methodology. Here's the unfortunate. Why the Quorum of the Twelve uh, is because they... Authority. They've set up this authority theme, right? Joseph Fielding Smith, being one of the family members of the Smith family, a direct connection. Well, we can't criticize him. We can't corral him necessarily. We can just make general suggestions and all that. Well, of course, who he was, Joseph Fielding Smith. Uh, He went ahead and published his book, Against the Wishes of the Brethren. And then he began lecturing at BYU about how evil, satanic, ungodly the evolution is. And how wicked and evil the people who promote this satanic. I mean, we're talking bullshit 20 feet thick. And he got away with it. Here's the unfortunate thing. The church today, philosophically, still has that silly stance. It is still, as a general rule, anti-science, anti-intellectual. This is one reason why I'm doing all of these uh, live sessions and my videos, because there are going to be Many people who have family members who have uh friends in church or even leaders in church who are your friends who are going to take the anti-evolution stance who are going to be anti-science and anti-intellectual they want to agree that the mere dumbing down to the fourth to sixth grade levels like Radio Free Mormon mentioned in his Mormon stories podcast with John delin, they want to agree that that is where we need to be and I just don't the science has increased our knowledge so tremendously the fruit of the sciences are incredible technology i mean here we are on computer and i'm talking to a group of people from all over the world thanks to science this isn't the holy ghost functioning yet this is how we've been told the holy ghost will function or ought to function but we've never experienced it like this. It is science that is giving us the instant worldwide communication, not the Holy Ghost. You see how that is? So you can see why some people become anti-religious. Now, I'm looking for spirituality within my life. I am not anti-religion. I am anti-stupid, and I am anti-dumbing down, and I am anti Cheating with the information if it's there and available. We must go with the evidence. This is the default of rationality of reality. Not that rationality has the last word. I've got some good stuff uh, on that in of all people, Martin Gardner. Yes, him, the great world-renowned mathematician, the man who debunked all kinds of New Age ridiculousness and spiritual occultism and ridiculous, stupid uh, astrological materials and on and on and on. He was a debunker. He is in the arena with James Randi and in the arena with Michael Shermer. And yet he... In this very excellent book, The Whys of a Philosophical Scrivener, he describes why he accepts religion. He describes why he was spiritual and why there is a God. It blew my mind. It blew me away. This man was a debunker of the religious claptrap going throughout the world, including some of the Mormon silliness. That he kept his belief in deity. Now that's very amazing for me personally. That's stunning. So, so this is the type of stuff that I I enjoy getting into. Hey, Bird, Birdie TV. Uh, very good to see you. And Golden Thrasher, good to see you too. So anyway, um, oh, you went to Weber State, did you, Sydney? Yeah. Oh, how interesting. BYU had produced a video of hominid evolution. That's what I say. I believe the brethren have no choice in so many respects when it comes to this subject of they have to allow the science to be taught. Uh, And so that's going to happen, period, end of story. But they still, in the church, in the church meetings and all, they say, yeah, that's the science. They compartmentalize stuff and say, now here's the scriptural truth. And these core doctrines are the ones, if you want to keep your temple recommend, that you will adhere to. You don't have to publish about it, but, you know, you do your science the college, but here you learn the real truth, the scriptural truth, the literal interpretation, et cetera. That's what I'm, that's what I'm uh, finding very, hey, Gail Capson, good morning. So Stephen L. Peck. that's enough diversions. I've had people complain that I do too many diversions in my discussions, and I probably do now, and he makes a very good point here, page 61. And this is important to grasp. This will be important knowledge to know if you have this kind of a discussion, which is going to end up being close to inevitable. And so I'm just sharing the variegated and sometimes colorful Mormon responses to the evolution issue. It is important to point out, Peck says, that Latter-day Saints have held a variety of positions on the subject of evolution over the years, and they have, and they have a variety of misunderstandings about the official church's position on evolution, which is, is that the church does not have an official position on evolution? That's really important to establish, but they do have statements—the 1909 statement, etc. They've had controversies with the fundamentalist, rigid uh, thinking of Joseph Fielding Smith and his son-in-law Bruce Armerkanki, and and uh, Dalenote somewhat more in the social. Area, the social justice area, where he just fails constantly. Uh, Jeffrey Holland, somewhat lesser than Boyd K. Packer, who is now passed on. He was a vehement dolt when it came to science and some of his misunderstandings. Uh, And he was one that came up through the church education system and became a church leader. So if it's true that Mormonism is only going to hire BYU professors from within the church education system, then we're probably, unfortunately, fortunately for us, because we can then show the silliness of their views, but unfortunately for the church, they will see more of the Boyd K. Packer, Bruce Armikonky types. And that's going to be a complete debacle for Mormonism, in my opinion. They need to broaden the cross-check, the cross-cultural, and the cross-intellectual, multi-sensory modality, in order to grow in strength. And apparently, God isn't going to tell them that's what they need to do because they don't receive any revelation. They're too busy chasing after the mammon of the world, and they have over a hundred billion dollars. So, woohoo, we're righteous, etc. That appears to me to be their current attitude, their conviction is nothing like what Joseph Smith went was when he taught about his revelations they're just kind of milk toast these days so and one of the first mormons to argue for evolutionary inclusive lds theology was william h chamberlain He was a part of the 1911 controversy, the evolution controversy at Brigham Young University. Notice this was two years after the so-called statement about evolution in 1909 was given. And they did a positively horrible job of it. But then evolution was young then anyway. We've had an, an enormous amount of changes, which has only strengthened the case for science And there has been no new revelations coming out that we're aware of that helps the accommodation of Mormonism with science. And so this is the result, what Stephen Peck is saying. All we have is an enormous variety of responses. And in the 1911 affair, Chamberlain was called on the floor. He was actually released, if I remember the history right. I have to look that up. Don't quote me. But I've got it in a, a book on BYU House of Faith. But, yeah, that was a huge controversy. And there were several Mormon scholars who were let go back then for teaching uh, evolution. And so it's very important to understand why there is such a variety of approaches to this evolution controversy within the Mormon church and especially within the Mormon scholarship because the leaders aren't getting the revelations. Joseph Smith in his day, it didn't matter what kind of trivial claptrap he wanted to find out, he would simply ask Jesus and Jesus would tell him and it would make it into the Doctrine and Covenants. It has absolutely no relevance to anyone else. But it's in the Doctrine and Covenants as Scripture showing that, yes, Revelation has returned. Well, it's disappeared again because you don't see any further collections of Scripture. And of course, they're going to give you that justification. Of all controversies, you would think God, who is supposed to be the greatest scientist, considering how much actual knowledge we have learned about all phases of this earth, the moon, the solar system, the entire galaxy, and the entire cosmos, you would think there would be more to learn from God. You would think the brethren would be having daily discourse with God, even though they claim they are. There's no reason to believe it because they're only keeping it on the basic Mickey Mouse. Fourth grade level, and science is completely eclipsing the knowledge coming from Mormonism. They keep regurgitating the same old fourth grade interpretations of the scriptures that we are so bored with to death that we either sleep through church or we quit going. And it's astonishing that they can't grasp that. It's amazing, isn't it? When you really stop and think about it, it's mind boggling. Hey, Williams. Good to see you. So, this is one reason why the variety of approaches. Evolution here is seen as part of God's purposes being brought forth by this society of minds. Now, Ralph Chamberlain Williams' brother described. William's approach and how the church of course could not grasp and fathom the intellect that Chamberlain had because he got his knowledge not from the church but from one of the eastern universities and he brought it back and of course Mormonism rejected the further light and knowledge that Father promised through Chamberlain from actual knowledge from back east now in case you didn't know it, I just slapped Mormonism with a backhand and deliberately so They deserve it. They know better than to be treating us like we're still in kindergarten, but they refuse to budge. They'll let the scholars lead us. Well, then don't expect us to watch you in general conference, you idiots, because if you're going to be that low down on the totem pole of priority for the rest of the world, whom you love to brag that you're the world's prophets, then of course we're going to go to your scholars and who cares what you think? Yet we know the scholars are also hamstrung by your authority. But we don't recognize authority. We recognize evidence. It is always based on evidence. It is always based on evidence. That cannot be said too often. So Chamberlain's way to accommodate it was to say that God's purpose God's method, as it were, was to utilize evolution. Now, this is, of course, a huge topic and subject which other Mormon scholars and authors have hinted at and gone to. The church leadership refuses to comment on that, of course, because every time they make a comment, within 20 years, they're outdated. So they are absolutely sitting, shaking in their boots, pooping their special garments and pants fearful of saying anything valid or interesting because they know they will be outdated. And the reason they're going to be outdated is because they're not giving us real heavenly knowledge actual truth won't be outdated but their stuff always gets outdated you want proof look at the church essays there's 13 of them on their website if you can find them in the in the way of opening up and being more transparent they did several essays on blacks of the priesthood polygamy the book of abraham etc and in every single one of those essays all they did was demonstrate that through the years it has been the critics who had it right They didn't. And yet it's the church who have been excommunicating the truth tellers. The essays are proof of that. Now, there's another diversion I just got into. I apologize. I know there's some people who hate my diversions. So, yeah, right. Gail Capson, imagine that, right? Yeah. And then there was a battle. of. Now, here's the other interesting thing that you never heard this in Sunday school. Oh, I promise, what I'm about to share with you is new. You will get this in the Backyard Professor Sunday School, and I'm sure the majority of you know this. I'm just saying this for future viewers, more or less. But Mormonism never, ever, 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 ever divulged the controversy between church leaders. And it was serious. It would have led to fist fights if they had not been Mormons. They actually ended up hating each other and trying to sabotage each other's point of view. Joseph Fielding Smith is my Main evidence for that. I was raised with the fundamentalist, literalist belief that all of the church leadership is always unified in heart, soul, mind, and knowledge. Jesus comes down and tells them the truth, and they all agree and they feel the burning in the bosom and they receive the Holy Ghost. And then they go out and teach the unified truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ unto salvation, which is all just for show. It's Eye wash, it's bunk. Here is the fact, and we have this. Guess where? With the evidence, <laughs> they left the written record. The evidence will show this. I have actually had some Mormons argue that this is an anti-Mormon interpretation and view, and that this stuff is wrongly portrayed. It's not. You can find this kind of information in many, many books, and I will share this. The battle among Joseph Fielding Smith, James E. Talmage, and B.H. Roberts. Notice every one of these guys were a general authority, but in their intellectual attempts to try to grasp how come science was just pounding on Mormonism when earlier in Mormonism, science and Mormonism messed so well. That's why the Pratt's writings, Party Pratt and Orson Pratt, were so incredibly wanted and loved because they combined science and Mormonism. Brigham Young was known to have said it's in the Journal of Discourses, it's in his own discourses, it's in letters from him to his son, it's it's everywhere. I say everywhere advisedly. Brigham Young was known to say, Mormonism accepts all truth. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It doesn't matter if we get it from heaven. We don't care what part of earth we get it. And we don't even care if it's from hell. We accept all truth. Doesn't matter what discipline. Well, you don't see Mormons saying that And believing that and writing about that today. But you sure did in Brigham Young's day. Orson Pratt, Parley Pratt, Brigham Young, even Joseph Smith himself, John Taylor, all of those guys were enthralled with the justified way of interpreting reality which Mormonism presented because it meshed so well with science. And it's not until as Stephen L. Peck in his fantastic book, Evolving Faith on page 64 says, there was a battle between the general authorities for supremacy of their outlook. In short, when contemporary Christian creationism was introduced into Mormonism through Joseph Fielding Smith's reading, here's the guy he got to, of Seventh-day Adventist writer and Ph.D. geologist George McCready Price. So Joseph Fielding Smith says, no, 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 you interpret the scripture wrong, you Mormons, who you are mingling the philosophy of men mingled with scripture. And yet this hypocrite turns around and takes a Seventh-day Adventist Christian writer fundamentalist and he says evolution is false and therefore Mormonism is true which is a completely false dichotomy in his book Man, His Origin and Destiny he has simply adapted the philosophy of this man and mingled it with his own stupid, literal interpretation of scripture and the church has still not gotten away from the anti-intellectual approach of this clown, Joseph Fielding Smith, this idiotic, arguing bumpkin of a moronic philosopher who had no clue and the church still won't disown him. Because he was a leader, he was a prophet. We're not to speak evil of the Lord's anointed. Do not speak evil of the brethren, even though they're so freaking stupid that a five year old could refute them. Man, I was livid when I read his book when I was a college kid at Ricks College. Back in the 1980s, I did not like his book. His whole approach to it is just failure. There's no way anybody could gain credibility by doing a book in that style. And yet he got away with it. It became a bestseller. Now, this, of course, is what led to the controversy. B.H. Roberts comes along and he reinterprets the scripture so that there are pre adamites Well, Joseph Fielding Smith, who knows more than all, disagreed. James E. Talmage came along and Joseph Fielding Smith was saying the earth is young. It's only 6,000 years old because it has to fit into the symbolism of the scripture. That was Joseph Fielding Smith's criteria, you guys. (laughs) We are talking clown to the hilt. Well, it has to support the symbolism of the scripture as it's found in the scripture. Therefore, the the earth is only 6,000 years old. And the flood of Noah really did cover the whole world because that was the baptism of earth. And there were eight individuals saved on the ark. And therefore the age of eight is the age of baptism. And they go on and on and on with this complete dolt mentality of a, of a eight year old. No offense to eight year olds out there. You're vastly smarter than Joseph Fielding Smith ever became already. And yet Boyd K. Packer comes along and sustained him. Bruce and Boyd K. Packer just recently died. That ridiculously unnecessary, absolute knowledge, killing approach and attitude was alive all the way up into Boyd K. Packer until just a few years ago. And Mormonism refuses to change that. We have a world renowned heart surgeon who obviously knows the science. There's no way he could have become a heart surgeon without it. And yet he still teaches the utter lunacy that a dog has always been a dog because that's how God created the dog. God did not create the dog. We did. Humans, through interbreeding, We have the complete evidence, man. (laughs) The dog evolving from the wolf Russell. Wake the hell up. Do you not see something else that's truly problematic here? The Mormon leadership absolutely insults the intelligence of the entire church, and they can get away with it only because the church agrees to acquiesce unfold our hands and pretend oh brother Russell Smith you are so much more smarter than I am he insults your intelligence by telling you such inanely obviously incorrect stupid knowledge supposed knowledge and he knows better that's what's mind-boggling so, again, this is one of my big... Di- this is the diatribe I had as an apologist. I am just so not kidding. As an apologist, I could not stand how absolutely ridiculously stupid and amateur and weak... I mean, it was weak sauce of the scriptural commentaries from the BYU guys. I. It, it would just... It was ridiculously idiot. And there's no other way I can put it. I am being charitable, I promise. Just read some of Joseph Fielding McConkie's commentaries on the Book of Mormon. Even Lou Midgley hammered Away at Joseph Fielding McConkie, Bruce's son, and he said, This kind of idiotic scriptural commentary on the Book of Mormon will destroy the testimony in the church. This kind of crap should not be written. But he was the son of a general authority, so he got away with everything. There's the problem of acquiescing to authority for authority's sake instead of following the evidence to what is. That's a huge difference because there's still so many people out there who are just asleep. I'm not making this up. That's the fact. They are literally asleep at how stupid stupid. The Mormon church wants to keep them. These are our friends and family. So this is why we advance in our knowledge with the good people who disagree with the brethren's philosophy, which is bunk and bogus as well. Now, man, that's a long diatribe. I apologize, I think. (laughs) However, It's time to pull it out, right? So this is, uh, now, and he does say, and this is on page 64. He says, uh, because of the controversy that emerged from this encounter and Smith's subsequent forceful expressions of his personal opinions, we have never gotten over this yet. And this is back when I was, I mean, we've been 50 years at this idiotic stance and it doesn't work. Now, it does for the Mormon leaders, because now they've got hundreds of billions of dollars. So my suspicion, uh, they don't give a damn about truth. That They don't care about science. I really don't, you would have a hard time convincing me that the Mormon leadership cares about any knowledge whatsoever. They are so filthy rich now, it's no longer about the truth. They don't even need to worry about anything anymore, even teaching. They don't care. Why would they? They've got hundreds of billions of dollars. So let the riffraff, Satisfy the group just so that we can convince them we have authority and they need to pay their tithing and they need to go to the temple. And the only way to the temple, we're the gatekeepers to your eternal salvation. The only way through the temple is through your checkbook and us. They've got you. That's how they're doing it. They don't teach anything worth knowing anymore. You think I'm kidding? We've got General Conference coming up here in two weeks. I'm going to be doing some commentary on General Conference. You think I'm joking? Watch what happens this General Conference. I I can't because I can't stand how they talk. They put me to sleep every time, but I will watch the recordings and I will be discussing the General Conference. But you watch. I guarantee you're not going to get any deep philosophical truths from General Conference. You just won't. So. Okay, see, I feel it is important to begin to articulate an informed LDS theology that is friendlier to our current understanding of biological evolution. And my note here that I wrote a few years back when I first read this book, how can it be when evolution destroys Adam? And that was my very first uh, part where I talked about the DNA and Adam and Eve and the evolution of Adam and Eve. Therefore it destroys the fall and the atonement. See, these are subjects they just don't want to converse with. They really don't. Who can blame them? I, You know, who can blame them? But he says that is friendlier to our current understanding of biological evolution. Well, there's no, uh, proof that the current understanding is correct either Evolution itself our understanding I should say of evolution itself has been evolving through the decades rightfully so and so anyway he goes on um he, he goes through so many things uh, I lied it wasn't him who was discussing the scriptural impact of evolution. Uh, I do believe it was uh, Stephens and Meldrum, and I will get to that. Now, tonight I'm doing my Sunday night fireside at 6. I will get to the Stephens-Meldrum interpretation of how, based on what we know about evolution now— the interpretation of Genesis, and hence this does affect the interpretation of the book of Moses and the book of Abraham and Joseph Smith and Brigham Young's theologies, the possible interpretation of the scripture from the church leaders has been wrong. And there's a more accurate, rational, realistic way that accounts for the Physical ness of our existence, there's a better way to interpret the scripture, and of course, it's not coming from the church leaders, <laughs> it's coming from who the scholars, right? So that's a major theme. What I want to do is I want to share. I, I can't help it, I just so cannot stand the, the fundamental conservative, uh fourth grade thinking of Boyd K. Packer I can, every time I get to hit him in the stomach even though he's dead I will do so because that man has caused more intellectual damage than all the other men combined except Joseph Field and McConkie and Mormonism will not disown what he said or did that's why I can't defend the indefensible I said see you later I'm not going to be an apologist for this noise there's no way now this is out of Chad P. Conrad's, and don't you know, don't you love it? The moment Dieter, uh, the the apostle, I have a brain fart, it, or Dow's brother, uchdorf Dieter Ustorf, the minute he said that, Chad P. Conrad realized, hey, that'd make a great title for a book, so I'm going to make one, and so he says, seeking answers to difficult gospel questions. <sighs> Yes, I read it. No, I did not go back to church. I'm still studying science, philosophy, ancient history and religion and spirituality. And I just did not find this book convincing enough to doubt my doubts. Here is Boyd K. Packer's concerns. Now, Conrad says this on page 143. And I do want to read this because this is so critical of the stupid mindset of an ignorant man who refused to educate himself and come up to date with reality. He wanted to stay in his fairy tale land of make believe Mormonism, Boyd K. Packer. Here was his concern. In an address, President Packer emphasized the negative consequences of believing that man is merely an animal. And the good news is, he's wrong right from the outset. We don't teach man is merely an animal. We are a rational animal. And that's all the difference in the world. Packer, of course, not having a rationality in him anywhere could not possibly have comprehended that difference. The comprehension of man as no more than a specialized animal cannot help but affect how one behaves. In some instances, sure. A conviction that man did evolve from animals fosters the mentality that man is not responsible for moral conduct. Oh, bullshit. Animals are controlled to a very large extent by physical urges. Duh, Boyd. You mean you didn't have any as a holy man? Uh Uh-huh. Sure, sure. Animals are controlled to a very large extent by physical urges. Promiscuity, oh, promiscuity, is a common pattern in the reproduction of animals. Oh, horror. What was God thinking giving animals penises and vaginas? Oh, horror. You see how lame this man is in his thinking? I mean, my God, This is almost painful for me to read. (laughs) So, in many subtle ways, the perception that man is an animal and likewise controlled by urges, don't you touch that little factory. Don't you do it. You keep your hands off your little factory fosters another kind of behavior entirely. Consequences of which spring from the single false premise account for much of what society now suffers. I suppose the cure is the little factory sermon by Boyd K. Packard. That certainly helped, didn't it? That almost made it so the Mormon church didn't even need bishops anymore because nobody had anything bad to confess, right? (sighs) I do not speak in theoretical terms. Oh, of course not, Boyd. It matters very much in practical ways. <laughs> so that's Boyd K. Packer. Well, virtually everybody who is anybody who knows anything has now grasped the significance and the beauty. Even Henry B. Iring said, oh, I don't think it's such a bad thing related to the animals. There are some absolutely wonderful, beautiful animals out there. They're very awesome, to which I can only say a hearty amen. The difference between Henry B. Iring and Boyd K. Packer is immense. I would much rather enjoy an evening with Henry B. Iring. Then, Mister, don't touch your factory Packer. I promise. <laughs> so this is quite interesting. Uh, now, what I want to do? Oh, yeah, it is in this one here. Let me jump onto this one too. The Search for Harmony, uh, a very interesting book. Hey, T.O., Aloha, my friend. Good to see. You. I just started an hour ago. You're in perfect time. It is, isn't it, Sydney? It's just, it's just really crazy. Yes, Lorena asks a very important question. Didn't Joseph Fielding Smith hide away Joseph's journal of the first vision in a vault for many years? Yes, he did. So not only did the dumb Prick, cheat, and lie about evolution. He cheated and lied about the prophet he believes was a prophet of the restoration because it didn't fit his view. And of course, Joseph Fielding Smith knew everything about the truth. Pure, utter, brain-dead hypocrisy in human form. And that's all good Everyone has their role to play, but don't ask me to reverence him and his memory when he caused so much damage to the intellect and spirit and faith of so many people. I just can't countenance that and I'm just not going to. There's no reason to. Call the spade a spade. That is legitimate in my opinion. The day will come where if I act like Joseph Fielding Smith, I will fully expect all of those who are watching my videos to take me to task just like I do them. I promise that will be entirely valid. So, now this is interesting. Oh, hey, I actually... before I get into this, uh, D. Michael Quinn wrote a very good book. I believe this is the one that got him on the map on J. Reuben Clark, The Church Years. And he did another one on the, I believe it was J. Reuben Clark, The Public Years. I don't know what my dad did with that book. Uh, I inherited this from my dad. Uh, Here is something fantastically interesting about J. Reuben Clark. Now, this was when he was in the first presidency so of course he was a man of authority and he had clout and of course every time he spoke everyone had to listen etc here now and this was in the in the uh oh let's see uh try to find the time i didn't do this now president clark disliked religious dogmatism it's a damn good thing he died before Joseph Fielding Smith got very far up in the church and before Boyd K. Packer did too, or Bruce Homemmercockki because J. Reuben Clark would not have gotten along with them. He was trying to be fair to all religious outlooks. This is Mormonism's failure through my lifetime for the last sixty years. Mormons have this disdain it appears to me, and they need to change that, or more people will quit going. So, uh, he was talking about uh, when members of the church tried, and this is on page 167-168 of uh, J. Reuben Clark, The Church Years by D. Michael Quinn, When members of the church tried to get him to make authoritative and inflexible pronouncements about doctrines he considered debatable, he declined to do so. Now that's legit, and and in some respects now, you know, I take the Mormon leadership to task, but now in some respects I have to back off a little bit because this is probably sincerely the wisest way for Russell Nelson and Dallin Oaks, Jeffrey Holland, and the rest of the Twelve to act for the simple reason that I really don't believe they have any knowledge from God in a form of a revelation about evolution of science much. I really don't. I, I think they're bereft, and they don't want to appear to be bankrupt. And so, but yeah, I don't think they'll ever firmly commit to anything like what we call truth anymore. Uh, I think it's all just pap and pablum and gaslighting. That's what they'll do. That's my prediction, and I'm sticking with it until proven otherwise with real evidence. President Clark followed his own counsel to young missionaries who might be tempted to give authoritative answers to obscure or unimportant doctrinal questions. Simply answer, I do not know. But then that becomes very, very subjective because there's a lot of stuff that are now labeled as unimportant doctrinal questions, which they have thrown former prophets under the bus for. So it's only the contemporary living prophet who's supposed to be the most important. Now, see, that comes from Ezra Taft Benson's brainwashed dodo doctrines, the 14 fundamentals of following the living prophet and ignore the dead prophets, and yet the moron kept quoting the Book of Mormon. Uh, Wow, can you say hypocrite? (laughs) The moron kept quoting the Doctrine and Covenants. Wow, can you say hypocrite? You see the problem Mormons have with this over and over and over. It's non-ending. They can't get out of that crux. That's amazing stuff, isn't it? Well, President Clark demonstrated this attitude most clearly in a letter he wrote concerning the theory of organic evolution, even though Rubin himself had questioned the consistency of scientific theory in the 1915 sermon evolution. He indicated an unwillingness he indicated an unwillingness to reject the theories of modern science on the basis of brief scriptural references to creation. That's why I say he would never have gotten along with Joseph Fielding. I know the scriptures better than you do, and I'm right and you're wrong, Smith. Joseph Fielding Smith was a brick wall dork, when it comes to scriptural exposition, because he literalized absolutely everything. And he based his refutation of evolution against just this issue here, the brief scriptural references to creation. Joseph Fielding Smith did far more harm than J. Reuben Clark ever could have. Yeah, because J. Reuben Clark had his head on right, in my opinion. And and so in a long letter in 1946, President Clark observed that much of your argument loses significance when we cease to give highly technical meanings in general terms, to general terms. Then he continued, you seem to think that I reject the scriptures or some of them. I do not intend to do so, but obviously... I am no more bound by your interpretation of them than you are by mine. Now, this is a member of the first presidency. This is directly opposite of Bruce R. McConkie's approach to Eugene England when McConkie arrogantly and condescendingly, authoritatively simply told Eugene England, my providence is to teach the true doctrine and your providence is to shut up and believe what I say. Something to that effect. I mean, talk about arrogance. That's what turned me off to McConkie. And yet, here's a man who had a higher office than McConkie did while McConkie was a kid during McConkie's life. And he was saying, I am no more bound by your interpretation of the scriptures than you are by mine. But McConkie and Joseph Fielding Smith felt that whatever we say is scripture, period. It doesn't matter if we're talking about cooking breakfast. You damn well better cook breakfast the way we do, or you're going to get cancer because God's going to be angry with you and smite you. That's how damn stupid their approach was when it came to Scripture. Not that I ever heard them say that about breakfast, but it would not in the least surprise me if it cropped up because they were that way about church doctrine and Scripture. But that's just fundamentalist claptrap. You observe reason teaches us that the Lord worked during the creation on his own time. The point has no significance to my subject, but reason does not teach me that. Reason teaches me that in the infinite finite time of any measure has little if any importance or value compared to the infinite. Indeed, from our moral point of view, there probably is no time, as we know it, in eternity, either simple or in multiple. The periods of temporal creation are of no importance to my subject. You quote from section 77 of the Doctrine and Covenants. I do not get from that section the meaning you give it. Apparently, the basic difference between us is this. Notice how he is having a conversation. He's not using his authority to put down this man. He's not using his authority like Joseph Fielding Smith and Bruce McConkey and Boyd K. Packer and now Dallin Oaks, unfortunately, and somewhat Jeffrey Holland. He's not using his authority to shut down the discussion. When the prophet speaks, the thinking has been done. No, Dallin, that's not accurate. J. Reuben Clark has the better approach. We have a conversation witnessed here, a valid conversation between good men, not some doctrinaire dipshit who wants to tell everyone else what to think. That's the only thing Mormonism is good for, and that's not a quality I would brag about. The rest of the world learns us how to think. And that's why we no longer believe what Mormonism thinks, because we now know how to think. And that's vastly superior to the supposed revelations coming to the brethren today, because they don't evince any evidence or very precious little that they know how to think. They know how to gaslight and they know how to brainwash, yes, but I don't turn those thinking. I like J. Reuben Clark's approach here. D. Michael Quinn did us a huge favor publishing this book. Fantastic stuff. So now as to what the earlier brethren have said, here's what J. Reuben Clark says about the earlier brethren, where they have declared themselves as speaking under inspiration by the authority of the Lord, Lord, I bow to what they say. Well, today's prophets and apostles don't. All you have to do is read the church essays on their website. (laughs) they think they get to determine who back when had inspiration and who didn't. If whoever spoke disagreed with what these guys believe is the truth, these guys will throw them guys under the bus. Even though they got a revelation from Jesus Christ, God almighty, the day today's leaders will say, Nope, that doesn't count. Now that's pure arrogance. That takes away the anchor of faith, doesn't it? That takes away any kind of anchor that is going to set us on the road to actual true reality, doesn't it? Because what this today's approach in Mormonism does is it completely destroys the concept that there is any such thing as revelation from Jesus to his leaders in the first place. And these guys who don't know how to think don't even see it. That's astonishing, isn't it? Wow. So here's what else he says. But where they express views based on their own understanding and interpretation, then none of us are foreclosed from exercising our own reasoning powers, inadequate though they be, but the earlier views do not foreclose us from thinking. Well, that's the opposite of Dallin. When the prophet speaks, the thinking has been done oaks now, isn't it? But you'll notice that he is still giving the prophets a loophole. (laughs) And they exploit it religiously today, right? Well, I mean, they're not always speaking as a prophet. So when they speak as a man, we don't have to accept them. Well, how do we know that? Well, the Holy Ghost will tell us that. What if the Holy Ghost tells us that it was true what they said? And now you come along and say, no, it's not. And my revelation of the Holy Ghost is more powerful than yours. Are you beginning to see how iffy and doubtful this whole philosophical setup is? (laughs) That's why I quit being an apologist no doubt about it. Uh, This is particularly true where we come to interpreting their interpretations. But everything in Mormonism is just interpretation. They love to label it differently now by calling their interpretation that magic R word, revelation, as if that's the final word but revelation has never been the final word. (laughs) Otherwise there only ever would have been one. I think the only one final revelation that was only ever given once and it has maintained its steady consistency is the emerald tablet of the ancient hermetic tradition. Maybe that's the only actual scripture there is. I may have to do a video on that. In fact, there's no question. I will do a video on the Hermetic Emerald Tablet. That has never been changed, amended, or superseded by later revelation at all. That's still the basis. Wow, I think I will do a video on that. Come to think of it, now now that I'm saying it this way, I really do think I'm gonna do a video on that. Why not? So anyway, uh, D. Michael Quinn, J. Reuben Clark, the Church Years, fantastic text, you guys. Sincerely. Uh, and so, one more one more uh, deal. I still got enough time. I'm still on the early end here. Woo hoo! Okay, so uh, we've gone through the ridiculous view of Boyd K. Packer on animals that is just dumb as dirt. And so again, let's go to no, I'm gonna save that for tonight. I'm gonna to save that for tonight, that for tonight. Oh uh just a general impression real quick. Uh and, th- and this was uh and this is an older book. This is an older approach: uh, science and your faith in God. Uh, it was a series of articles that was put together, and this was during the great controversy with uh, Joseph Fielding Smith and B. H. Roberts. It was just post B. H. Roberts' era, and this is when John Witzel had become a general authority, and uh, and he was doing the uh, he was doing the series in the Improvement Era. I know I've got it here. Oh, yeah, yeah, right here. Uh, He was doing a series of articles. He was a scientist. He became an apostle of evidences and reconciliations by John Witzel. And this was very, very popular to my grandpa my grandpa really liked this my dad not so much it's really weird man my grandpa was far more knowledgeable and and impressed with with learning than my dad was it, it, it's just kind of fascinating that way anyway science and your faith in god this had selections of uh articles it uh, by Henry Iring, Carl J. Christensen, uh, Harvey Fletcher. He was an early BYU scholar. Joseph F. Merrill, another one, uh, Frederick J. Pack. Now, he was really good. John A. Whitzel and Franklin S. Harris. So it was a series of selected compilation of writings and talks by prominent Latter-day Saint scientists on the subject of science and religion. I read through this book. and i wrote my impression and i was simply stunned i i I was just blown away it's no wonder mormonism became anti-intellectual it's no wonder that mormonism ended up at one point actually stupidly becoming anti-science for real here was my impression and and it it's still somewhat just kind of, I go, wow. (laughs) This entire book is proof that Mormons are taught what to think, not how to think. They are so impressed with authority that their so-called revelatory insights of inspiring thought in order to elucidate Scripture or be able to show that Joseph Smith was right in his particular revelation in the book of Abraham say or something like that they are totally inept and I was was just shocked when I read that and it really put a damper on me for a while because I had purchased I had purchased this one along with uh, Witzow's other books on Joseph Smith being a scientist and on his rational uh, faith. but I believe it was rational faith or rational, rational theology, I believe, uh, that I've never even read completely through them yet. There's no point to it because witso is so contradictory. And so he is so impressed with a supposed scientific situation that totally confirms joseph smith being a true prophet and then within a decade that scientific evidence was completely refuted and witso never updated (laughs) he stayed with the old stuff and and that to me yeah that was so disappointing to me yeah so anyway uh, i i don't mean to discourage you away from reading john witso but I, yeah, that was seriously too bad. And then, oh, let me read this too. This was an important point. And again, another D. Michael Quinn. I'm giving you a whole bunch of D. Michael Quinn. The Mormon Hierarchy uh, Extensions of Power. Uh, This was a pretty important book. Uh, Let's see, did I put this on the right page? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) and uh okay so this is on page 64 of the extensions of power of the mormon hierarchy okay so yeah for almost 20 years now for almost 20 years 20 years man apostle joseph fielding smith was at odds with more scientifically oriented apostles over his rejection of organic evolution and the age of the earth. The controversy originally involved Smith and B.H. Roberts of the first quorum of the 70, and, and Roberts was so vastly Smith's superior in intellect. There's just no contest. <laughs> There's just no way. It's like putting a, a, a kindergartner against a Ph.D. tenured professor of 50 years experience. I am truly not exaggerating, seriously. Uh, But it soon expanded to include two varying degrees, Apostles James E. Talmadge, John A. Witzel, and Joseph F. Merrill. After the Robert Smith and Talmadge publicity, now they publicly refuted each other's views, and that really upset the First Presidency because, of course, that started causing confusion within the Mormon audience, right? And there's a great dialogue article on this in fact there's a there's a whole dialogue devoted to this uh situation. If you've never read it, oh uh, let me know in the comments. I would be willing to do a series of videos explaining the the details and uh oh, how James E. Talmage destroyed Joseph Fielding Smith this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever read in my life. It was fabulous, you know, oh wow. It's crazy he was ex, he died too young, James E. Talmadge. But, uh, uh, yeah, even his book, Jesus the Christ, is now pretty much dated. Darn it, it was such a great book on my mission, right? Uh, Anyway, uh, they publicly refuted each other, and so President Grant imposed a moratorium. He said, Whoa, no more public expression of this subject now. He had a point <laughs> because, you know, I can't think of two more egotistical men than B.H. Roberts and Joseph Fielding Smith. But I think B.H. Roberts also had a greater humility than Joseph Fielding Smith. He was more uh, he was certainly more rational and realistic and he was more flexible In attuning himself to the ebb and flow of evidence, as it is inevitable in our finiteness that evidence will ebb and flow. And as we research and we integrate new materials, we have no choice but to change what we imagine was the truth or what we imagine we knew was accurate. We have to begin to adapt and flow and change. I'm living example. I had to change from being a Mormon apologist to a seeker because I just don't believe the Mormon apologists can defend the indefensible accurately or very well. One, because they're hamstrung by the very men they're defending. They're only allowed to say certain things. I know that because I helped found fair. (laughs) I'm one of the original three founders. I know how they view that. So anyway. The amazing thing is longevity gave Smith the last word, which is so unfortunate. He outlived Talmadge and Roberts, Grant and witso and Merrill. And as sole survivor of the controversy, Smith told a quarterly meeting of apostles in 1953 that his version of the pre-Adamite theorist, Talmadge, Witso and others, without out-consulting new church president, David O. McKay, in 1954, the Twelves president published his anti-evolution, Man, His Origin and Destiny, and McKay was upset, but apparently he was powerless because he didn't do anything about it. He should have just simply recalled the book and destroyed that dumb, ugly thing, but he didn't mckay was very kind of uh, wishy-washy doesn't quite capture what i'm trying to say but he was he was kind of a milk toast man in some respects he, he avoided controversy but at a price that was too great he should have uh entered uh more controversy uh greg prince is fantastic biography of david o mckay i would strongly encourage you to read that book that really opened my eyes on uh, david o mckay yeah he was one of the great intellectual prophets for sure but he he was uh he he shied away too much from uh, controversy when he shouldn't have it would have done more good for the church overall had he put his foot down and used his prophetic authority but he never did but Joseph Fielding Smith damn sure did. Yeah. So, yeah. So he got the last word and the last laugh except for one thing. All of us today are vastly enriched, far greater, far deeper, far more spiritual and magnificent by reading James E. Talmage and B.H. Roberts than we ever will with Joseph Fielding Smith's poorly thought out tripe. So in a way, yeah, he got the last word in print, but in spirit, Joseph Fielding Smith would be the last one I'd ever bother to read. And then I wouldn't read him anyway. (laughs) I'd rather go on a picnic and hike a mountain, (laughs) but I will sit down and stop what I'm doing to read a B.H. Roberts or to read a James E. Talmadge. Not that I think they have the last word. They don't, but they're vastly superior to Joseph Fielding Smith, and yeah, that's my opinion, and yeah, I'm biased and prejudiced, but I'm also informed, and I know what evidence looks like, and uh, Joseph Fielding Smith struck out. He didn't have it. That, I can assure you. (laughs) Anyway, okay, you guys. Uh, Yes, T.O., Quinn was arguably the best historian of the church, and he was excommunicated for it. He was, and and that's too bad. That is one reason why I like to utilize him as I can. Absolutely, fundamentally so. Yeah, and and I would encourage everybody to. You you must read, Quinn. You really should. It's only for your good. This too shall give you experience and be for your good. Now, depending on what you believe, I either quoted Jesus Christ (laughs) or else I quoted Joseph Smith. <laughs> okay you guys yeah oh hey barbara westoff good to see you thank you yep uh oh mark crispin you're here too good oh and lisa Alyssa, Alyssa. i keep saying alisa I- i'm sorry i i really don't mean to mangle your name you lovely one so any oh and doug vincent good to see you bye <laughs> Oh, you're all showing up and I'm ignoring you and giving a giving a Sunday school lesson. Boy, how rude am I? Oh, Alisa. Okay, thank you. Thank Duh. Oh, bye. Oh, good to see you, Doug. Glad you made it. Uh, I will be back at 6 o'clock tonight with more. Uh, I've got a little bit better. Uh, I'm going to be utilizing this one, the Search for Harmony. Uh, and, and I will... I will read from uh, Martin Gardner, The Wise of a Philosophical Scribner. Oh, and I will read, boy, I've got a big, I've got a great program tonight, you guys. And I will read Stephens and Meldrum, Evolution of Mormonism. Wow, I've got a, there's going to be a lot of stuff tonight. woo I, I And and I can't be done with the series after tonight either because I've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 12 more books uh, discussing Evolution of Mormonism that I want to at least... Uh, give you some ideas out of, so I may be doing two or three more of these, so, oh, okay, you guys, uh, this has been a lot of fun, Uh, so I will, I will close out for now, I'm at an hour 20, that's, that's enough for now, because I, I do have some other things I really do need to go get done, like, go rest, (laughs) get it, Sunday, yeah, just call, just calm down, Shabbat, Hebrew, you know, rest okay that's enough scripture (laughs) it's all interpretation mingled with the philosophy of men right (laughs) i love that cop-out cornball philosophy that it's all the philosophy of men mingled with scripture whenever someone presents something that the poor general authorities don't have the intellectual capability to think all the way through (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that. So anyway, you guys. All right. I've had a boatload of fun. Thank you all. for Thank you for the likes. That's very kind of you. Uh, don't forget. Also, I have updated my backyardprofessor.org, my podcasts, where you get to listen only. Uh, I have put up more new podcasts this week. So there are ever more and more podcasts for your convenience of hearing and listening and enjoying also. Uh, And I am doing a boatload of subjects on the backyardprofessor.org. So don't forget to subscribe and hit the uh, button that dings, that announces when the new podcast comes up because I am really upping my game on that. And I will have some more new out Maybe not tonight, but uh, I will tomorrow night. So uh, things are yes, yeah. Thank you, Mark Crispin. I do, I do get my rest. I do. I promise. Yeah, I can't function. <laughs> I, I am to the point in life. I'm. I'm not young like John Delin, I know he's gonna start toning down his activity a little bit. He's not going away. But he is he's not going to do 20 podcasts a week anymore either. And I can't blame him. But I am one of those. My age is us at. I do get my eight hours of sleep <laughs> or else I take a Sunday nap. Woo! They're nothing better. So. All right. Yes. BYP 24-7 channel. Mark Crispy. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, that that's probably what John DeLynn was trying to do, but we can't. Uh, but I am trying to up my game and improve, give you uh, more information, and and I'm doing okay with it. So, and don't forget also if you'd be so kind, uh, hit the donate button. It doesn't matter what amount or how often, at the backyardprofessor.org podcast site and that can help out also. I have a few new books I would like to get so that I can share with you the knowledge, and that is what I use the money for. So anyway, you guys, oh, thank you, Mark. I appreciate knowing that, seriously, because I am trying to up my game. So you think I have up my game. Thank you. That means a lot to me. I want you guys to benefit from this. This isn't just about entertainment, although it's fun to entertain, that's true, but uh. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of ways to learn how to think. I can't tell you how many pitfalls and traps of deception I have avoided in the last decade because I have learned how to think, not just what to think. And so I love passing that on. I really do. So let mean. oh, thank you. Thank you, Doug Vincent. That is very kind appreciate the donation. Appreciate that. Okay, you guys. I am going to... Oh, thank you. Uh, Thank you very much. Okay. uh, I will call it good for now. I will see you guys tonight again at 6 o'clock with more... I really have a good lineup. I didn't realize I had that good of a lineup, but I really have some wonderful, fabulous information. Uh, We'll move beyond the Joseph Fielding Smith silliness and now get into the nitty-gritty of of the evolutionary accommodation. So I'm very excited. Oh, T.O. Okay. Yeah. It would be fun to hear your story about fair. I will do that. I, I will do podcasts on that also. And Heidi Christensen. Hey, welcome Heidi. I'm hearing more now than I've left yours than when I ever did as a member. That, that makes me feel good. That's wonderful. There are a lot of excellent programs out there. Not, not just mine, See, I'm patting myself on the back, and that's rude. But uh, really, there's a lot of good podcasts out there sharing the information uh, that just can't get through the filters of the brethren. Uh, Why? Because of their paranoia? Yeah. Because of their lack of intellectual acumen? Yeah. Because their lack of desire for actually... Helping individuals learn and know. Yeah, I mean, they are the roadblock. It's, it's so crazy. If you had told me 20 years ago when I was an apologist that I would someday say, yeah, the brethren are actually the roadblock. They're the problem. I would have laughed you out of the stadium. Here I am. <laughs> That's my testimony. I don't expect you to believe me. Just keep watching learn. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun to enlighten our minds. So anyway, okay. I got to head out. I will be back tonight. You guys have a great afternoon and I'll see you tonight, six o'clock. If I can come on early 10 minutes or so, don't be offended. Don't be mad. You can always watch the video, but you know, it depends. We'll see. I, I do have a very good lineup. I'm quite excited. So, okay, you guys, hasta la vista till tonight, man. Uh, Heidi Christensen, that might be possible too. Yeah. Well, basically, that's what this is, somewhat. We'll talk more about it, Heidi. Absolutely. I'm up for it. (laughs) I love you guys.